All right, this is the Interledger community call for the 14th of October, 2020. Um, on the agenda today, uh, I am going to share how Codius is using WebMod Station to do some usage-based billing. Um, and then we'll see if any other topics come up. Um, so I threw together some diagrams, I'll post these in the chat. Um, some of it might be pretty basic to you. Um, for web monetization, uh, it makes interledger payments using stream, which requires a SPSP query to set up the stream connection. Um, and there's now a, a number of different ways that we're kind of playing around with that setup request to accomplish some different use cases. So, so normally uh, for WebMod Station, you have a WebMod Station provider like Coil who finds a payment pointer on a website in a monetization meta tag and uses that to start a stream connection to pay the user who owns that payment pointer. Um, they, the web monetization provider, the sender, does an SPSP request to the wallet where that payment pointer is at, uh, and the wallet will give them back an address and secret that the sender needs to create the stream connection. Um, so the first kind of variation that we've done, uh, Ben Shroffian at, at Coil posted a while back about revenue sharing and probabilistic revenue sharing where you could have a, a single web page with a single payment pointer that will actually serve to pay multiple parties. Um, so in the, in the diagram on the, that page, uh, there would be a, a payment pointer that 50% of the time would uh, send payments to Alice and 50% of the time would send payments to Bob. And that split happens at the SP, SPSP query point. Uh, it, the revenue sharing, uh, I, I guess, service proxies the SPSP request and uh, redirects that to the wallet based on who's actually going to get paid by the stream connection. A um, couple considerations there. It's, it's just, it's splitting on stream connection. It's not splitting on interledger packet. Uh, not all stream connections pay the same amount. Um, and so the idea behind the probabilistic revenue sharing is that over time, it will hopefully be fairly even between the parties uh, based on the proportion that everyone is hoping to get. Um, in a similar vein for proxying SPSP queries, we've added stream receipts, which provide, 
let the receiving wallet um, include in the IOP fulfill packet a receipt which can be used, which the sender can give to someone to verify payment. Um, without this, uh, with WebMon Station, like everything that's been shown up to the point and talked about, a, a website doesn't know for sure that they're actually being paid. Um, but receipts uh, give websites a way of verifying payment. And the way that that happens is the SPSP proxy is, the SPSP request is proxied through a receipt verifier who ends up setting up basically a shared secret between itself and the receiving wallet, um, which the receiving wallet will use to sign the receipt. And um, then the web page can take the receipts that it's being given, check it with the receipt verifier who can tell them that either yes, you're being paid the amount that uh, the visitor of your site is telling you you are, or, or no, this is an invalid receipt. Um, so once again, oh, oh, the SPSP request is playing a big role in adding that functionality. Um, so finally, uh, so I've, I've been working on, on Codius, which is a means of uh, hosting, web hosting, that can be paid with Interledger. Um, right now it's focused on serverless hosting, kind of like functions as a service, uh, where the, the thing that you're having run by the Codius host might be scaled all the way down to zero instances. Um, and so in that case, Codius hosts are interested in charging per request to a, a function or uh, it's charging per function invocation. And um, so one option to, to handle that is to uh, kind of charge at the point of the request. So I, at one point I actually built a, a, a paywalled error page. So someone might make a request to a Codius function and they would be kind of redirected to a, a web monetized page. They, they sit on that long enough to pay for the amount that's sufficient for the Codius host to serve that request. Um, that setup doesn't always work. Uh, if the thing that's being served is a, is a page that's gonna be making more requests for resources on that page, um, it, it's hard for the host to know how much to charge someone for that initial request. Um, and it's also not a good user experience. And really only works for, for HTML, not stuff that's being just queried by an API. Um, because this for now has to happen with web monetization. So a workaround for this is a Codius host acts as a revenue sharing service 
and someone who has a, a function deployed at the Codius host will be given a, a payment pointer to be used for that. And they can use this payment pointer wherever they want. They could use it on the, the function, what's returned by their function. They can put on some website that they have that's totally disconnected from what they have running on Codius. Um, and so whenever web monetization payments are happening with this payment pointer, uh, it will go to the Codius hosts revenue sharing service, which will make a decision based on the, the balance for that function. If this web monetization string connection is going to pay the host uh, in order to top up a balance, or if the balance is sufficient, it can just go ahead and pay the user um, who's, who's putting this payment pointer on sites or wherever. Um, that this also, it has the same caveats of the, the revenue sharing service where you can't really know ahead of time how much a particular stream connection is going to pay you. Um, so if someone somehow pays at $100 in a single stream connection um, and they, the function balance just happened to be insufficient at that time, then that function is going to have a huge credit to their balance. Potentially the Codius host could pay out uh, excessive credits. Um, there's, yeah, potential workarounds for that. Um, I think that's, that's the main idea behind all this. I'd be happy to hear any questions that people might have. That was a lot. So I remember you had this 402 page that you just talked about. Did you completely remove that now or is that still an option that there is a 402 page whenever I try to reach something that's hosted on Codius um, on the, like using my browser? I haven't totally removed it yet, but I'm seriously considering it. Um, and it, it is, it has the potential to be a, functional like last effort fallback um but yeah but my main reasoning for wanting to remove it is it because the codius host doesn't know like how many requests it's actually going to take to serve like, like either a single web page um like there's the potential where you would sit on the 402 page, it'll, you'll wait for it to pay a certain amount, then it'll retry the request, but like it's not enough. Um, so I'm, yeah, and it would just be simpler to remove it also, just one fewer piece in a, an already complicated setup. Uh, another solution, like the, the 402 page that I had, it had a lot of configuration options. And one thing could just be 
don't automatically reload, don't automatically retry the initial request, just, just sit on that page and be web monetized and let the, the user retry. Thank you. And then another question. So let's say I have this API, but I don't have any other web page. Like, like true story, I don't have a personal web page. So I have anywhere to put this payment pointer that I get whenever I um, upload this function to a Codius host. Um, is there a way to still get that paid? Why am I out of luck? Um, there will be. Um, so I'll share this very much in flux uh, front end. Uh, Codius right now is taking advantage of OpenFAS, which is uh, an open source functions as a service project, um, which has a lot of tools that I've been able to not have to build myself. So every function will have a, a dashboard page like this. And I'm intending to make each function dashboard page use that payment pointer that'll pay to that, um, the revenue sharing payment pointer for that function. Um, so yeah, someone can navigate to here to top up their balance if they don't have any other way to do it. And so I, I've also thought I could replace the 402 page with just a redirect to this function dashboard page. I see, thank you. Do you have a demo? Um, I mean, it, I, I think if anyone clicks that endpoint link, it will uh, invoke the function, which is just a web monetized page using the um, using the payment pointer for this function. So uh, I, I think that right at this moment, the balance is sufficient. So it would just be paying on to me as opposed to uh, the payment pointer for the Codius host. Um, as a Brendan, um, it, if it's cool there, and, would, and I don't want to put you on the spot, but like, could you um, give us a walkthrough of your the demo? So, like, and, and what each of the the files mean. Um, so, like, if you if you were completely new to Codius, like, what, what exactly would you need to need in order to um, give to the Codius host? If you had like just the express script, you need to create the doc image and um, things like that. Sure. Um, so this open FAS cloud uh, that I'm using, they, the, the way that you deploy a function to it is you add it as a GitHub app to a GitHub repo of yours. Um, So I'm gonna try to add a link to, they have like a user guide, but it's 
So what people do is they'll, they'll add the, I guess it's called like installing the app to a GitHub repo, uh, at which point you can just uh, push a function that, that meets the, the qualifications for an, an open FAS function workload. And uh, this Codius host will, will see that GitHub push event and it, the Codius host will actually build the Docker image. And uh, this is all working on Kubernetes. It'll then uh, create a Kubernetes service and deployment for that function. Uh, and it'll be accessible. So on that dashboard page, you could see that the, the, the URL for my function is uh, my GitHub username as the subdomain. And then it's the GitHub repository as the path. Um, and so when someone does a Git push, they end up having the Codius host serve that function at a URL matching that description. Um, yeah, so it, it's been really nice. Like so, so much of this open fast cloud was already in place. It's for me mostly just been adding the, the payments pieces, adding the, all the interledger. Once, once this is more ready to be used, I'll, I'll definitely post uh, interledger Slack and or forum for, for people to, to try it out. Um, I'm pretty sure if, if you tried to add stuff here, I'll be breaking the host before too long. So what is still missing? What do you still want to do? Uh, I'm, I'm just getting that, that whole billing part finished. Um, and then after that, I, I think it'll be pretty close. I'm, I'm blanking on the outstanding items. Yeah, probably just more, I guess, uh, some documentation, like I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna be able to, to put WebMod station instructions into the, the open fast docs that I'm linking to. Um, yeah, I, I think it, it is coming along and uh, shouldn't be too much longer for people to try it out. I'm definitely looking forward to that because Cody has brought me into the Interledger community. Um, is there anything else you would want to do with that after you put out your next release? Like bigger picture? Um, I, I guess we, we talked internally about like the idea for some kind of Interledger paid storage um, since, since these are our serverless functions on Codius, they, they can't keep state. 
uh, and it would be nice if there was a service that they could make use of and like that j just a, a Codeus function you could be a customer of um, by probably using this same uh, billing payment concept where uh, it, even the, the Codeus host itself could have a payment pointer that can be used to, um, to, to pay for storage services. Um, I, I haven't looked into it too much, but that's, that might be a, a beneficial feature that um, would be worth making available to Codeus functions. Any other questions and or um, has anyone had any topics they realize they do want to bring up on today's call? Hey, this is uh, David. Can you hear me? Yeah. <clears throat> I wanted to, uh, this is a question for Kincaid, actually. I've been looking at the, um, the ILP pay project, um, and it looks really cool. It seems to simplify stream sending quite a bit. I'm curious if you have any feedback or like, you know, comparing that to like the, the stream client and the Rust project. How's it working? It uh, looks like it's been a few months since you know that kind of got polished off so i'm just curious to hear if you're pleased with that is that a better architecture for stream clients yeah i think i feel pretty good about it um has not been like tested in a production setting yet so i guess take that as you will but i think um like the integration testing uh, has been pretty comprehensive. Um, in particular, like the Rust stream implementation got very complex when you're calculating kind of the, the amount that the next packet should be. Um, and I think what Pay tried to do um, among other things is like split all of that logic or different parts of that logic into kind of their own middlewares. So you like iteratively kind of construct the next uh, request or decide if you should even send another uh, packet. That um, kind of flows through each middleware and that kind of simplifies both like the timing part of it like when you schedule requests and then kind of the actual construction of the request in terms of like setting the destination adding frames um setting the amount um things like that um in terms of like specific uh differences if um 
if there's a particular area you're interested in, I, I suppose I could um, go over go over that. But I feel like there were I feel like there were a lot of changes kind of between the work on Rust and that, and so it's it's probably a little hard for me to um, think of all of them, but. Yeah, no, that's <clears throat> that's good. I it never occurred to me to apply kind of the middleware approach to the stream client, um, but I, in like now that I've seen it, it it seems really <laughs> really great. So, um, trying to see if it can or, or how it can work in the Java sender. I just wanted to make sure you were happy with it before I um, you know invested a lot of time. Also, I mean, along those lines, do you expect that you'll apply that pattern back in the Rust project or no plans there at the moment? First, I was going to say, no, I'm, I'm unhappy with it. Pay is going to be, you know, it's, it's all going to be scrapped. Uh, we're going to start from scratch. Um, Please no. Please no. <laughs> uh, pr probably not. Um, uh, or at least I, I have no plans to. Um, yeah. Um, is that just because the a lot of the sending comes it works well enough from JavaScript? Yeah, uh, so I think where where Coil um, would potentially use this, um, it's like it's Coil's current sending service is in JavaScript. Um, if this were to be used kind of in a browser in like the extension context, which is probably less likely, but if it were like, that's convenient uh, for it to be um, all in JavaScript. Um, and I think that like that seems to work like on the, on the server side, it seems to work fine. Um, yeah, that's great. Are there any like I haven't um, I haven't gone through like all of the implementation in fine detail. Um, are there any middlewares or features that are like missing that you haven't gotten around to yet, or do you think that pay is pretty complete at this point? Uh, the biggest thing that I think is missing from the current published version that like isn't like may or may not be important depending upon your use case is the congestion controller. Um, I have a, so like I have a version that I haven't published, but I, I never got it working well enough. Um, And part of this, I would say, like I think every stream implementation, the in every like in in uh, the current implementations, the congestion controller leaves a lot to be desired. I don't like there. No implementation is very good at discovering the available bandwidth, um, competing fairly against other senders, um, and things like that. Um, so it was trying to find a good way to solve that, but. Uh, wasn't wasn't able to get there 
is that that importance probably depends on your use case if you're you know in a you know very like a if you're using this with like a bandwidth limit like then maybe that's important if not then it's probably less important um, but I suppose they're like then just build your own congestion or use the existing congestion congestion controller you have um, it's just not an improvement I guess um, so does does pay just not adjust packet sizes then or is it is there some other mechanism that, uh, that currently it does not respond to to force it'll back off in response um like in time in response to other temporary errors that are not to force um but it won't back off the packet amount in response to to force in this okay. I mean, I, I guess I would say the most like complex parts of this are rate enforcement and fixed paying, uh, fixed destination amount. Okay, yeah, paying by destination amount. And so like whether those features are important or not, I guess probably affects how complex the implementation is. Yeah, that was another thought I had. I um, I haven't, gotten to fixed destination yet. Uh, it seems like that's mostly in, in the implementation for paying an invoice, like an open payments invoice. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm, um, I guess I'll, I'll get to that when I get to it and maybe have a different or, or more informed opinion. I always kind of thought, well, I always wanted there to be a way to not have to implement fixed destination, like just to get rid of it and always do fixed source on grounds that if you underpay, um, some higher layer would detect it and like let you know. I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know that we have any maybe you guys have some test harnesses or whatever around open payments like um, I don't know if you have an opinion there. I think my concern there would be if it is possible to do that, um, it, it makes it much harder to reason about the security. And my concern would be like, is there some kind of exploit there that either allows a malicious or misbehaving receiver to cause the sender to send an arbitrary amount of money or is there a, a possible vulnerability where the sender you know sends as much as they can send uh, but an insufficient amount gets delivered and I think to pr protect against those cases, uh, like it's the, the stream layer um, implementation is important. Do they, I mean, don't they reduce to the same thing? Because on a fixed destination, the receiver is reporting back 
what they got. Um, and so in, in that in that world, if the receiver starts lying, the sender just has to like monitor its own rates and like stop if it sees that it's um it's past some threshold or some slippage. Like is there is there another mechanism in stream that I'm sure. missing? Yeah. You you can't stop the receiver from lying. So you know if I tell them the minimum the minimum you need to receive is eleven and they tell me well if they say I received ten and they fulfilled it, well that's like a protocol violation. But if they say like uh, if I say minimum you need to receive is 11 and they tell me they fulfill it and say I received 11, but it turns out they didn't receive 11, like I can't stop them from lying. The case that that prevents is um, it isolates, like if it is the case then that later the receiver tells me out of band or you know I visit their website and says you haven't paid, um, it isolates that the receiver must be misbehaving and the money, like it was not an intermediary in the payment that collected um, extra money. I see. And that's because Without that yeah. reinforcement, like the sender doesn't know whether it's just the receiver that's misbehaving or whether it was intermediaries that um, did something malicious. Yeah, and, and that's because the sender has these fulfilled packets that prove that the receiver got a certain amount of value above the minimum. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. There's, um, you know, but part of my motivation is, you know, just if there's some way to like do half the work, honestly. <laughs> if if you don't have to implement the both types of payment, uh, it would be nice. And I still wonder, um, even if you had both types of payment at the stream layer, like if a recipient was going to be malicious, like they would, you'd go to their website and it would say, you know, you you underpaid or you didn't pay at all, and you would still have the sender would have these fulfilled packets, but. Um, you know, I don't know, then it's like a lawsuit or you're going to court or like there's, there are these other higher order remedies that yeah. um, maybe still aren't solved even in that, in that world, so. Yeah, but I, I would say like every payment system, like that's just the fair exchange problem. I pay you, now I'm expecting something in return. The important thing is I know with 100% confidence that you were paid the amount you needed to be paid. And if this was done like at a different layer or was just done by like kind of playing around with the source amount, I, I as the sender don't have that 100% certainty that you were paid. And therefore like probably, you know, it's more shaky ground for me to go through those other remedies, whether that's, you know, calling your customer support, if this is just like a technical issue or, you know, suing you. Um, so I think that like it, it's important to be able to determine whether the receiver is isolate that they are the ones that are, are misbehaving.
Yeah, makes sense. Any other topics or questions from anyone? How's the, if I may ask, how's the uh, um, 1.0 kind of progress coming and or what's kind of on the roadmap for that? Yeah, coming pretty slow um, only because we've been focused on sort of other priorities at RippleX, um, but yeah. I think for the moment I'm focused on um, making the send the, the stream send work sort of properly. Right, right now the Java implementation is both complicated and I would say incorrect, especially when it deals with exchange rates. So um, that's kind of the thing I'm thinking about these days. 1.0 is uh, TBD. There's um, you know, a bunch of issues, I think, in the GitHub that uh, not all of them need to be fixed for a 1.0, but um, I think we could be close. Like, we're probably, like, one to three months or so away from a 1.0. Um, it's just a matter of kind of finding time to do that work, so. Gotcha. And then if I may ask, like, what's kind of... Um... Are there any um, uh, use cases in mind uh, for that 1.0 release or, or partners that you know might be using that or deploying that? Yeah, nothing concrete at the moment. A um, couple different in initiatives inside of Hyperledger that are pretty nascent. Um, and I few opportunities, um, but, you know, nothing concrete at the moment. I think that's another reason why, you know, we're not prioritizing it at the moment, but I think as soon as we get like a, a firm commitment that somebody wants to run the Java connector, then that, that would pretty immediately, I think, change our roadmap. So our, our internal roadmap. I think one uh, one area that's been really interesting, and there's been a lot of news around um, central bank digital currencies, or CBDC as they're called. Um, and so I think it'd be a really interesting application of Interledger to run a domestic payment system. So you know you could you could imagine clearing in dollars, let's say, and the peers in the network would be banks. And then there may be, there would, there would need to be some settlement currency uh, probably operated by the central bank. So you can imagine like some kind of stable coin or fed coin or whatever um, issued by the central bank, maybe held by the banking system as it were. And then um, an interledger topology on top of that would be really interesting because no FX really in that system, um, imagining it didn't go like cross-border. Um, but 
I think one thing lacking with the traditional CBDC story is that everyone's talking about how can I put my CBDC on a blockchain? And you're still looking at like three to 10 seconds. Like, you know, if you're running on XRP Ledger, it's still three to 10 seconds. If you're running on ETH or Bitcoin or something else, it's even worse. Um, there's some other options like maybe Hyperledger Fabric or, you know, like a private blockchain, but that sort of can defeat the purpose also, I think, of what I think people want to see from a CBDC. Like, think they want to see that thing on a public sort of chain. So anyway, applying interledger actually like expands the reach of that system all the way down to the micropayment use case. And then you could still settle on some fast performance sort of underlying chain. Um, so anyway, that, that's something I've been thinking a lot about as well, especially when it comes to the Java connector. Um, making the Java connector sort of more enterprise ready or like hardened um, is top of mind. Yeah, yeah, no, that's really interesting. A lot, a lot of the CBDC stuff is is very interesting. Anyone have anything else or any bigger visions than what David just laid out? That's pretty, that, that's hard to beat. That's a, that's a pretty big vision. I think I need to expand my money system to like Mars maybe, and then maybe that would be bigger. That's a joke, by the way. I know you were all laughing at home, but you're all muted, so. Yeah, I was thinking like uh, the latency, then you need like super long expirations and then the exchange risk. Yeah. A lot of, lot of, a lot of, a lot of technical problems that need to be solved. Yeah, what does settlement look like when you need to move value from Mars to Earth? It's pretty interesting. It would change depending on where the planets are in the orbit. And speaking of which, uh, I think before the next interledger community call, some places in the world will have ended daylight savings and others will not. Uh, so people should double check the meeting time when the invitation gets sent out. Um, any other any other topics? Any other thoughts people have? Well, then thanks everyone for joining. Hope everyone has a good rest of the week and we'll see everyone again on the 28th of October. Take care. Thanks all. Bye.